always at the turn of a new year, we are filled with hope and optimism. I think especially this year, coming out of 2020, I don't know if you noticed one of the shows on New Year's Eve, I think it was on NBC, it was called Escape from 2020 and entering into the new year. And we feel that way. We all feel that, I'm sure. That there's optimism and hope that we're going to leave behind what was and enter into something new. And so it's very natural. If, you, if you're like me, you think, hey, 2021 is going to be my year in some way or another. Maybe it's the year you finally graduate or you find love or you get out of debt or you get in shape. I mean, there are a thousand different things we could put in the blank right there as to what we hope is going to happen. And at the turn of the new year, it feels possible. It's the same reason we make New Year's resolutions. We, we have this vision for what things could be or ought to be. And this year, I'm going to commit to see those things through. Now, you may not actually say your resolutions out loud or write them down and post them on the fridge. But again, you're, if you're like me, you have in mind these goals, these hopes, these ambitions, these dreams for the new year. You know what happens so often, though? And this is no secret. A lot of times we find ourselves early in the year, we aim too high. <laughs> or you could say we bite off more than we can chew because we have this great ambition to see dramatic change take place. But what we do is we cast unrealistic goals for ourselves. And then perhaps even early on in the year, at the very outset, we, we realize, oh my goodness, I've, I've taken on too much. This isn't realistic. I become disinterested or maybe discouraged. And we end up kind of losing interest along the way. Um, but here's something I want to suggest to us today. As we look at Psalm 1, the first psalm, the problem for a lot of us is not that we're aiming too high, but actually we are aiming too low. In our, in our hope, in our ambition for something good to come, we are oftentimes aiming at only what is temporary rather than what is eternal. We're, we're putting our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions into things that revolve around us or that are only temporarily true of this life, and we don't grasp or seek for the things ultimately that are of God. So it may be a good thing that I desire, but not necessarily an ultimate thing. And for us, I hope that Psalm 1 will give us a better picture of what God has actually created us and called us to pursue, to become. Now, I'm preaching into a camera right now, but it might as well be a mirror. Everything I'm going to say today hits me right between the eyes. There's great conviction for me personally in this, and I want to share it with you because what I think the psalm is going to show us today is a new and better vision for what our hopes and dreams and ambitions ought to be perhaps very different than what we've made them out to be. Y'all, Psalm 1 describes for us a truly, deeply happy person. A person who is deeply satisfied and fulfilled and blessed and whose life is fruitful. I mean, what Psalm 1 shows us is the thing we all desire to be. And yet, it comes to this person 
in a way that is uh, that, that rejects merely what is temporary and self-centered. His goals and ambitions are not revolving around him, but they revolve around the very person of God. And that comes through very clearly as we read it. So my hope is, wh- whatever your goals and ambitions, resolutions may be this year, I'm sure they're good. But perhaps the first psalm will recast vision for us and show us something that, that, that I believe most of us, I'm sure, have, have missed or have kind of let drift. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, that's what the first psalm aims to show us. Look, I'm, I'm going to read through the whole psalm. It's only six verses. But look at this picture that's being painted for us here. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We notice this this psalm begins with a very clear affirmation. Here is what it means to experience blessing. For some of us, your Bible actually translates that word not as blessed, but as happy. Happy. And what this word means at its deepest level, this word means there is a a firmly rooted joy and contentment. It's not just a generic word. Like we might say, how are you doing? Well, I'm blessed. Well, that could mean a lot of different things. Or it could just mean something we've learned to say as a matter of of polite interaction. It It may not mean anything at all. But here it means so much. It's a deeply rooted joy, contentment, satisfaction. This is a person who is blessed in a way that the shifting sands of circumstances cannot destroy. This is a person who is deeply uh, devoted to and close to the Lord, and therefore he is blessed. And so we'd be wise to ask the question, okay, how do you get that way? I love what I see, how blessed, how deeply rooted in joy, contentment, satisfaction, happiness, and grace this person is. But how? And of course, that's what the psalm is about, not just that he is blessed, but what makes it so. And you see the first thing right there in verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. This man is blessed because he does not live a life of sin. He's happy because he's holy. Now, there's an interesting progression that takes place here in that first verse. We're given three activities that we're clearly meant to avoid. You see it? This man does not 
walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. We're meant to see a pattern there of how sin takes hold of us. You see the progression from walking to standing firmly and then finally to sitting down. This is a person who's becoming more and more entrenched in sin. When a person is walking in the counsel of the wicked, the idea there is he's, he's entertaining sinful ideas. The counsel of the wicked, those who are trying to tell us why this isn't all that bad and all the benefits of, of a certain way of life that is ultimately against God, but it's something we can choose to walk in. And then once a person has walked in it long enough, we find that he is now standing in it. He has taken his place in the path of sinners. That means not just entertaining the thought, but now actively living in that sin. And then finally, this person finds himself sitting in the seat of scoffers, so wrapped up in sin, in wickedness, that he laughs about it. He scoffs over it and demeans others who refuse to join in. You see the progression? Now, most of us, we carry the idea that I can walk in the council, I can, I can enjoy the outer fringes of sin without getting wrapped up in it. I can stay on the outside and taste of it and kind of keep it warm and available, but I'll never become like that. I'll never find myself in the center of it. But y'all, that's, that's self-deception. What Psalm 1 aims to show us is just how sin works. We entertain it. We think to ourselves, no harm, no foul, but eventually it becomes habit that we accept and we justify and we tell ourselves it's not really that bad at all. And then we find ourselves ultimately living in it, surrounding ourselves with people who do the same, and we become calloused to it. Our conscience stops putting up a fight, and it simply becomes part of who we are. Now, y'all, that's true for all sin, whether it's pornography or gossip, whether it's lying or laziness, whether it's an angry spirit or apathy toward the things of God, all sin follows this pattern. It follows the same decline. We entertain it, we live in it, and eventually we be it becomes who we are. And, and this is, I think it helps us if we stop and just consider the insanity of what I'm saying of how truly crazy and foolish it is for us to look at sin and on one level we see what it is and we acknowledge that it's wrong, that it's bad, that it's hurtful and harmful, and yet how easily we're entranced, how easily we're wrapped up in it. And the reason for that is, y'all, that the reason we sin, or at least one of the main reasons we sin, is that somehow we're convinced that it's going to make us happy. We don't do it in an effort to be miserable. We sin because we think somehow this is going to satisfy, this is going to complete me, this is going to, to, to scratch the itch, this is going to meet my need. I'll be happy if I'll do this. I'll be included, I'll be accepted, I'll be approved if I do this thing, if I engage in this activity, if I follow this path, this way of thinking. We're determined to find satisfaction in life 
And the path that promises it to us, usually the easiest, quickest path, well, that's the one I'll take. But there is no sinful path that actually leads to genuine happiness. And I can say that out loud, but I've got to believe that enough in my heart that I would actually look at sin the same way the man in Psalm 1 does. We see the first blessing in this psalm. He sees sin for what it is. He's not easily deceived. He's not easily entangled. The man in Psalm 1 knows that sin is empty and corrupt. Sin never keeps its promises. That's why if you look down in verse 4, verse 4 says, The wicked are like chaff which the wind drives away. Y'all, chaff is the husk of the plant. Sometimes we see the, the peeling off of the outer layer of a tree or a plant. The chaff, which actually has no root in itself. It's ultimately flimsy and worthless. It's meant to be discarded. In the end, the wind drives it away and it becomes dust. It comes to nothing. And that's the reality of all sin. The blessed man sees that and declares, I'll have nothing to do with it. He doesn't wait until he's sitting in it and says, oh my goodness, I've got a problem. He doesn't sit, he doesn't stand, he doesn't walk. I will not even entertain the thought. And so, y'all, I want us to drive home the first thing we see in Psalm 1, the first thing this psalm aims to show us. This person is happy because he's holy. His experience of God's blessing is directly tied to his commitment to a righteous life. And, and this is... This is perhaps a prime example of how we aim too low in our own lives. That we think this, we, when we think of holiness, the rejection of sin and a commitment to obey God, a commitment to be set apart in how we live unto God. When we think of that, we typically think, well, that will make me a better person. And of course, that's true. But how many of us, when we consider holiness, we connect it with our own happiness? We think of holiness as being the path to joy. I'm not sure that many of us do. In fact, I think a lot of times we, we intuitively, we feel the opposite. We think to ourselves, I can be happy or I can be holy, but I cannot be both at the same time. Because holiness is rigid and hard and, and, and full of, of commands and rules and self-denial, and we can't compute how that could lead us to any sense of joy. And so we create two separate categories there. Holiness and happiness can't really go together, and y'all, that is simply a lie from the devil. And the Bible tells us flatly otherwise. David, in Psalm 16, says to God, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures 
forever. You make known to me the path of life where there is fullness of joy and pleasure forever. What does that sound like? It doesn't sound like there's a contradiction between holiness and happiness. Y'all, to reject sin and to obey God, that doesn't just make for good morality. It's essential to your happiness, to your deep satisfaction, your fulfillment, your sense of blessing, because you can only know true and lasting blessing as you walk with God. And so if, if your goal in 2021, if your hope, is to experience greater joy and blessing, and I'm sure it is, then let's make this our first diagnostic question. Am I walking in the same old paths that got me here? Or will I walk in the path of righteousness and life where true joy is found through holiness, not around it? Some of us want the blessing, but we don't see holiness as part of it. And that's the first thing the psalm shows us. This man is happy because he's holy. And the same is true for us. Now, if we stopped right here, that'd be a good lesson, perhaps, a good motivation, a good, a good uh, a way to send us into uh, a new ambition for living. But it wouldn't be enough. We have a clear example in verse 1 of moral purity. You're blessed if you avoid sinful things. But what we would do, we would take that, that call, that ambition, and we would turn it into legalism. Here are the rules. Keep these things and you'll be happy. And y'all, that ultimately will lead us to false religion. And so I want us to be very careful here. Not to stop where the Bible doesn't stop. We've got to keep going. Because the real question ends up going deeper. Why? does this blessed man take no joy in sin? Well, that's because his true joy is found elsewhere. And that's what verse 2 shows us. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in God's law, he meditates day and night. This man takes no joy in sin because his delight is in God's word, God's law. Y'all, that, that word delight is a very powerful word. It means more, again, just like the word blessed means more than merely happy, the word delight means more than merely happy. Delight is the heart's response to a supreme treasure. It reflects something that is so valuable that all other values pale in comparison. Everything else in life takes a, a, a back seat, a periphery to the main thing here. This man's heart is fixed on the law of the Lord. And right here, the word, that, that phrase, the law of the Lord, is broader than just the commandments, like the Ten Commandments. That's part of it. But the idea here is all of God's word. All of God's word. This man delights in everything that God says. It's precious to him. And God's words are an endless source of joy to him. Just like we saw earlier in Psalm 19. Your words are more precious than gold and sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. They are a delight. 
And because he delights in God's word, what does he do? He meditates on it day and night. He's constantly taking it in, constantly reflecting on it, savoring it, considering it, meditating. Um, You know the popular practice of meditation? It's very popular. Uh, Beyond just religious terms, everybody wants to practice meditation in in such a fast-paced and crazy world. But the idea of, of what meditation is It's clearing your mind, right? Removing all the junk, clearing everything out so that you can be, in a sense, empty and find peace and clarity by removing your thoughts. But that's not what Christian meditation is. It's not the same. When Christians are called to meditate, it actually involves filling the mind. It's the opposite. Constantly filling your mind on the words of God. Constantly thinking about the truth of God. Christian meditation is to actually be saturated with the Scripture. You don't just think random intuition kind of thoughts about God. In that case, we end up making up our own stuff. That's not Christianity. No, we're embedded in what is true, what is found in the Scripture. And so we are saturated with the Word like water to a sponge. We take it in that God's Word might consume our thinking. And in this case, day and night, all the time, this man is thinking about the Word of God. Something that I mentioned earlier, I hope is kind of coming into focus. What this man is so supremely happy about, what makes him so blessed? It's that God is the source of his joy. God is not a compartment in his life, one among many, that he draws from as he has need. No, God is the bedrock. God is the source. He takes no delight in the passing pleasures of sin. His delight is not even merely in the good things that God gives to him. His delight is in the Lord himself and in his word. That's his treasure. And when your delight is found in the Lord, this psalm tells us that you're drawing from a source then that has no limit that has no end. You're constantly drawing from life itself. That's what verse 3 tells us. This man, it says, will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. You notice the essential role of God in this person's life. If, if we only read verse 1, we might conclude, well, golly, this, this is a holy man. Look how holy he is. Isn't he great? Or if we only read verse 2, we might say, look how devoted he is. He, he's always reading the Bible. But verse 3 informs us as to why verses 1 and 2 are true. It's not really about this guy as if he's the source of his own spiritual life. His, his holiness and his commitment, his discipline, his devotion, that's what makes him who he is. No, verse 3 shows us everything depends on God. This man is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Who planted him there? Can a tree plant itself? You can't plant yourself. 
You cannot bless yourself. All blessing has to come from someone else. You receive blessing, and therefore we see that everything this man has comes from the gracious hand of the Lord. And we see how God blesses us, not with temporary good things merely, but with a firmly rooted tree, a firmly rooted life, rooted down by streams of water, meaning that this tree doesn't depend on circumstances. Maybe it'll rain, maybe it won't. No, he's firmly planted by the source of life. He's always drawing water up into the roots. That is to say, he's always drawing his life from God, not from his circumstances. He's fruitful, he's strong, because he's rooted in the Lord. And even in seasons of drought, right? When circumstances fade, when life seems to fall apart, he still prospers because he's rooted in God's faithfulness and God's promises. He bears fruit in his season, right? Not every season is a great fruit-bearing season. We can attest to that. But his leaf does not wither. Even if there's no fruit on the tree, his leaf does not wither because he's always drawing life from the source, from God. Circumstances cannot change that. And so, y'all, in in verses 2 and 3... What we just read gives us a second point of application. Verse 1 commands us to holiness and and pictures what to avoid. But verses 2 and 3 tell us now positively what to pursue. How deeply rooted you are is, is directly tied to how fruitful you are. And the deciding factor is, are you delighting in the word of God? Deep roots, great fruitfulness, strength through all the storms, the droughts, the circumstances of life. In this case, it all hinges upon this man's delight and meditation in the Word of God. And y'all, I am gravely concerned. Again, when I look in the mirror, not just when I look out, I'm gravely concerned that we as Christians are suffering from very shallow roots because we've neglected the study of God's word. Our roots are not deep down. Our our sense of, of faithfulness and courage, our commitment to the things of God, are not what they ought to be. And I'm sure you can attest to that as you look at your own life. None of us are what we ought to be. None of us are as deeply rooted as we could be and should be because we have not rooted ourselves in the right place and in the right person. We have, by and large, and I speak very generally here, but we've, we've given ourselves over to lesser entertainments and treasures and delights. We've given ourselves over to screens and entertainment and news and social media as our primary form of intake, as our primary source of knowledge and wisdom. And frankly, at the end of the day, it all amounts to junk food. There may be good in it. I'm sure there is good in those Uh, those means, but they'll never get us to the end that God desires because it's ultimately, it's like pouring soda onto the roots of a tree. There's not enough nourishment to be found and ultimately it corrupts. Y'all, many of us are severely malnourished spiritually because we have not delighted in God's word and meditated upon it from the heart. 
That has not been the pattern of our life. And therefore, we are flimsier than we ought to be. And so I, I just, I want to unapologetically offer this as a challenge to us as we enter into this year. That we would set aside any goal, any ambition, any resolution that would crowd out or infringe upon the time and energy that we give to God's word. We cannot allow God's word to take a back seat. Or as I said earlier, to be on the periphery of life. Refuse to let God's word get your leftover energy. Refuse to let Sunday morning be your only Bible intake of the week. May 2021 be the year where, by God's grace, we get our roots deep down into the Lord and into His truth. And here in a minute, when we close, I'm going to talk about a way that we can practically do that together. But we cannot expect what Psalm 1 declares if we kind of piddle in the Bible, if we just kind of keep it around for when we feel like we need it. We've got to be rooted in it. Now, y'all, here in this short psalm, just a few verses, we get a picture of how life is meant to work. What I said earlier, that we get a, a recasting of vision for what we would, would hope to become what God desires for us to become. How blessed is the person who obeys God, delights in God, and roots his or her whole life in God. Case closed. There it is. But this wonderful psalm also presents for us a terrible problem. And maybe you've already felt it. A potentially crushing weight. None of us, none of us have actually lived this way. Countless times, I have walked in the counsel of the wicked. Countless times. Countless days, I have failed to delight in the word of God, and I've neglected that opportunity, that responsibility, that privilege. All of us have fixed our attention and our affection on things other than God. All of us. In fact, we've already done it today. Unless you woke up right before this sermon started. And even then, all of us, we just, we just fix our affections on things other than God. We, it's, it's part of what it means to be human and to be sinful. And so this psalm tells us what we ought to be. But in ourselves, in ourselves, we lack the ability to do it. We do not obey and delight and meditate as we should. And this is why it's so necessary that we understand the nature of God's blessing. The true nature of God's blessing. God, for God to bless us does not mean that God simply comes alongside you as you're doing well and sprinkles on a little more. That, that Christianity is about nice people becoming nicer people, good people becoming a little bit better. And as God finds you succeeding or maybe getting kind of tangled up, you're doing okay, but you're getting a little, you know, tangled, he's going to come and help you along the way. That's not the biblical idea. Well, the Bible tells us nobody 
is worthy of God's assistance. Nobody's worthy of God's blessing to begin with. We're not good people who just need a little encouragement and help. Uh, in, In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul says, all people, all of us, have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Later on in Ephesians, Paul tells us that we were, we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and our sins. And so it does us no good. It would do us no good for God to, to come alongside us and just offer us a little help for the journey because of the depth of our sin. We can't just get by with some assistance. We need rescue. We need to be saved. We need forgiveness. We need grace. And this is where Psalm 1 becomes not just good advice for us, but Psalm 1 is actually good news for us. There is a man who has lived out the first Psalm perfectly. A man who had no sin, a man who always delighted in God and God's words, a man who lived righteously at all times. There is a man who has actually fulfilled what we're reading today. And I suspect you know who he is. It's God's son, Jesus Christ. He lived as the perfect fulfillment of this pattern of these words. Jesus lived the righteous life that you and I could never live. And yet, Jesus also suffered the fate of the wicked. And this is what's so fascinating to me. Remember what we read from verse 6, the very last verse of this psalm? The way of the wicked will perish. Jesus was nailed to a cross. Jesus suffered and died. Why? To pay the penalty of our wickedness. We deserve the fate of the wicked. We deserve to perish in our sin, but God has graciously furnished a substitute for us. Jesus came not just to embody the perfect righteousness we see in Psalm 1, but also to take upon the penalty, the punishment of all wickedness. And in his sacrificial death, because Jesus took our sin upon himself, we may now be forgiven of our sin. We may be reconciled to God. The Apostle Peter says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. When we say blessed, I'm blessed, it takes on a new and different character than perhaps what we meant before. When we consider the blessed man in Psalm 1, the kind of person that I can't possibly live up to as I should, that God sent his son into the world to live that righteous life on my behalf and to suffer my penalty for me, for you, so that we might know what it means to be blessed in the truest and deepest sense. To be a Christian is never to say, look at all the good I've done. Look how God has blessed me. 
in relationship to my activities and behaviors and, and good works. No, to be a Christian is to say God's blessing is a gift, a gift of mercy, a gift of grace. The blessing that I now live in has been purchased for me through the sacrificial love of Christ. And this is why the same word blessed that Psalm 1 begins with also shows up later in Psalm 32. The same Hebrew word, blessed, happy, deeply content and satisfied and connected to God, right? That great word, blessed. Look at what David says, Psalm 32. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Y'all, don't, don't assume that the experience of happiness in your life depends only upon you. If I will just get my act together and be more righteous, if I'll just read my Bible more and think about it more, then I'll make my way to God. Then surely God will love and accept me. Y'all, please don't take that away from what we've said today. That would be to miss the whole point entirely. No, those activities, those ways of being, the pursuit of holiness, a devotion to God's word, those are responses to God. Not things that we do in order to put God in our debt and he, now he has to bless me. Look at all the good I've done. They are response to him and his grace. He is our delight. We don't have to make ourselves delightful. He loved us and sent his son while we were yet sinners. And so our response is, I'm going to give my whole life to him. I'm going to stop pursuing sin and instead I'm going to embrace holiness because that's where blessing is found. That's where God is. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. I'm going to deepen in my love for and appreciation for and my time in God's word. Because that's where his life is revealed. And that's where he brings his transforming grace to my heart. We do it in response to him. Y'all, there is no greater blessing. There's no greater happiness than to now live by faith in the grace of Jesus to turn from the destructiveness of sin and now to walk in the light of God's truth, that doesn't just make you more moral, it makes you happy. Because that's what God's created us to be. To spend our days meditating on His love and deepening in our love for His Word. There simply is no greater joy to be found. It's not out there. This is the truly blessed life. And my hope for us is that we would reject any ambition, any goal, any resolution that seeks blessing, that seeks the goal, the end, apart from the means. You cannot dress your life up. I cannot make myself acceptable by getting uh, out of debt or losing weight or any other such temporary thing. It, it's, it's a good thing. I encourage it. Go after it. But blessing, life, joy deep contentment and great fruitfulness come only on one path and that is the path of psalm 1 
How blessed is the person who rejects sin and instead delights in God. May we not, may we refuse to aim any lower than that. May we set our sights on the things of heaven. And may 2021 see us uh, fruitful, rooted, because we have put all our hope in Christ. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I'm, I'm asking you this morning, I'm praying this morning for your grace and forgiveness. As I'm just able to acknowledge, I, with, I hope, deep sincerity and humility, I, I'm, I have walked so many old paths in search of new hopes and joys. I'm so easily distracted and entranced by things that are merely temporary. I'm so easily um, distracted um, by unimportant things and I neglect your word. Father, I pray for me, I pray for us that this, this psalm today would be a great wake-up call, a great challenge to us. Uh, that, Lord, perhaps we're, our, our roots run shallow and dry. Perhaps our fruitfulness is, um, is, is either non-existent or, at best, um, just paltry. Father, will you today point us to the grace of Jesus Christ? That, Lord, our, our solution is not within us. Our ability to, to be blessed and rooted and, and truly happy and fruitful, these things are not within us, Lord. They come through Jesus Christ. And so as you, as you forgive us, we're we have fallen short and failed or even rebelled. Lord, thank you that your word to us is not suck it up and figure it out, but that your word to us is look to the cross of Jesus Christ who shed his blood to make us righteous, to grant us true blessing and to give us new life. And so, Father, as our, I pray that as our faith is in Christ, um, that we would with sincerity pursue holiness. Lord, show us our sin, even the sins that we consider acceptable that don't look like sin to us, maybe. Lord, reveal what is keeping us from walking in holiness. Reveal, Lord, where our roots are shallow because we have not devoted ourselves to your word. We've not delighted in your word. Father, give us that delight that our heavenly Father would choose to reveal himself to us through his word. Lord, let there be no greater delight than for us to pour over your truths. 
and bring transformation to our hearts. Lord, we've got so far to go. Help us to see that these roots don't, don't get deep overnight, but over time. And help us today to resolve. We're going to trust Christ and walk with him as of first importance this year and let everything else take care of itself. We'll entrust it to you. But help us, Lord, to be about what is true and ultimate. And let us find, Lord, uh, true blessing as we've seen today. Uh, let us find it as we love and pursue our Savior. We ask it all in his awesome name. Amen.